Trump brings Hunter Biden's former business partner to the final debate as the media studiously avoid the story. Good Trump shows up for the debate, mostly, and Joe Biden pledges to end the oil industry. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. The Ben Shapiro Show is sponsored by ExpressVPN. Surf the web with peace of mind. Sign up now at expressvpn.com slash Ben. Well, we'll get to more of the news in just one second. We'll get to all of the news, in fact, because there is plenty of it. But first, we need to talk about your safety and security online. Now, here's the reality. Those social media companies that you don't trust because they are suppressing your ability to actually see information, they're actually using your data to monetize all that nonsense. They're using your data and they're selling it to advertisers, and there is no reason they should be allowed to do that. Also, hackers are looking for your data so they can make money off of you. Why would you allow them to do that either? Instead, use ExpressVPN. If you've ever wondered how free-to-access sites make their money, it's by tracking your searches, video history, everything you click on, and then selling your valuable data. Well, when you use ExpressVPN, you anonymize much of your online presence by hiding that IP address. That makes your activity more difficult to trace and sell to advertisers. ExpressVPN, really, really easy to set up. You tap one button on your phone or computer, you are now protected. Voila. ExpressVPN also encrypts 100% of your data to protect you from hackers and internet bad guys. It's finally time to say no to censorship. Take back your online privacy at expressvpn.com slash Ben by visiting my special link. You get an extra three months of ExpressVPN service for free. Again, that is expressvpn.com slash Ben, expressvpn.com slash Ben to protect your data today. Okay, so last night represented the final presidential debate. We are reaching the end of the road here. We are less than a week and a half out from the presidential election of 2020. And so the pressure was on for President Trump. And he showed up. He showed up and he performed. To understand exactly how this debate went, however, we have to backtrack a little bit. We have to do the run-up to the debate. So late yesterday afternoon, just before the debate, there was a press conference called by the Trump campaign. This press conference was very much reminiscent of the press conference that President Trump held with accusers against Bill Clinton. Back in 2016, he brought a bunch of women who had accusations against Bill Clinton and suggested that Hillary Clinton had covered all of that up and, and all that sort of thing. This was very reminiscent of that. He brought forth a guy named Tony Bobolinsky. Bobolinsky was a former would-be business partner of Hunter Biden. And he alleges that it wasn't just that Hunter Biden was going around the globe picking up bags of cash. He alleges that he was doing so on behalf of the Biden family. He says he has the receipts to prove it, that Joe Biden actually knew what was going on, that Joe Biden was involved. Now, as we will see, it is not clear at all from the documentary evidence that has been thus far presented that Joe Biden was deeply involved in his son Hunter's business. However, there are certainly implications in the Hunter Biden emails that suggest it. As far as money actually changing hands, again, there's no actual documentary implication that money has actually changed hands and has been funneled directly to Joe Biden. We'll get to that in a second. Right, because the media are studiously avoiding the story, except for maybe the Wall Street Journal, which is now reporting on it. But Tony Bobolinsky did this press conference. And again, this was right before the debate and suddenly made this story a lot more serious because before it had just been all of these emails that had sort of been dripped out via the New York Post. They'd been put out a little bit via Fox News. Well, now you actually had a face of a person who worked with Hunter Biden saying that Joe was intimately involved with the business. So Bobolinsky gets up in basically a spare room in Nashville, Tennessee, and he says, I was told earlier this week that if I reveal what I know, it's going to bury all of us, meaning the Biden family as well. I was told this past Sunday by somebody who was also involved in this matter that if I went public, this information, it'd be, it would bury all of us, man. The Bidens included. I have no wish to bury anyone. I've never been political. The few contributions I have made have been to Democrats. But what I am is a patriot and a veteran. Okay, Bobolinsky 
also suggested that he had privy inside knowledge to everything that was going on in Hunter Biden's business. He spoke deliberately of a, of a May 13th, 2017 email in which it was discussed how much of an interest in a Chinese company would be held by H, H meaning Hunter Biden, apparently it was 20% and some 10% going to the big guy. So Bobolinsky said the big guy here was Joe Biden, which of course would take this from the realm of Joe kind of knew and patted his son on the head as his son went around picking up bags of cash, which is extremely plausible and in fact probable. There's a line between that and Joe Biden actually received money from these sort of corrupt goings on. Again, if Biden did this after he was vice president, it is not a violation of the law. He's allowed to do it after he is vice president. It does certainly look like influence peddling, however. And Joe Biden apparently was in contact with Hunter about this stuff, according to Bobolinsky, as early as 2015, 2016, when he actually was vice president. In any case, here was Bobolinsky saying that the H in that email stood for Hunter and Biden was the big guy. On May 13, 2017, I received an email concerning allocation of equity, which says 10% held by H for the big guy. In that email, there's no question that H stands for Hunter, big guy for his father, Joe Biden, and Jim for Jim Biden. In fact, Hunter often referred to his father as the big guy or my chairman. Yeah, he says he came forward, Bobolinsky did, because he was tired of hearing Joe Biden suggest that he had never discussed business with Hunter when Bobolinsky says, I know firsthand that that is false. I've been at dinners where they've discussed business. I've heard Joe Biden say that he's never discussed business with Hunter. That is false. I have firsthand knowledge about this because I directly dealt with the Biden family, including Joe Biden. I was introduced to Joe Biden by Jim Biden and Hunter Biden. At, and at my approximately hour-long meeting with Joe that night, we discussed the Biden's history, the Biden's family business plans with the Chinese, with which he was plainly familiar, at least at a high level. Okay, and then Bobolinsky held up some cell phones and he said, all the evidence of what I am saying is on these phones. I've turned these over to the proper authorities. Here was Bobolinsky yesterday. Tomorrow, I will be meeting with the Senate committee members concerning this matter, and I will be providing to the FBI the devices which contain the evidence corroborating what I have said. The evidence sits on these three phones. I don't want to go into anything any further. Uh, this will all be discussed with uh, Senator Johnson and his committee, and the American people can decide what's fact. Okay, so that is where things stood until just before the debate. Finally, the Biden campaign put out what seems to be a pretty comprehensive statement denying the story. According to the Biden campaign, quote, as Chris Wallace said on air about this very smear, Vice President Biden has actually released his tax returns, unlike President Trump, and there is no indication he ever got any money from anybody in these business deals. Joe Biden has never even considered being involved in business with his family, nor in any overseas business whatsoever. He has never held stock in any such business arrangements, nor has any family member or any other person ever held stock for him. What is true is that Tony Bobolinsky admitted on the record to Breitbart that he is angry he was not able to go into business with Hunter and James Biden. What is also true is that in contrast to Vice President Biden, Donald Trump has a secret Chinese bank account and pays more in taxes in China than he pays in federal income tax in the United States. And this is a desperate, pathetic farce executed by a flailing campaign with no rationale for putting our country through another four years of hell. Okay, so that is a pretty comprehensive denial by the Biden campaign. There are ways to spin it where it looks as though maybe there's some hair splitting. So for example, you could say, well, maybe the stock isn't stock. Maybe it's some other form of asset, right? Not all ownership in a company comes in the form of actual stock. I could say that. Maybe you could say that Joe Biden didn't have to be involved with the overseas business. He could have just been sort of a passive partner in the overseas business. There are ways to parse this in which theoretically 
Biden couldn't be denying the story, but it looks mostly overall like Biden is denying the story and the denial is blanket enough that if any of that ended up being true, Biden would get excoriated for it. So the Wall Street Journal has a couple of pieces further explicating the story itself. We'll get to those in just one second. First, let's talk about the fact that it's been a pretty dark year. I mean, really kind of a terrifying year in a lot of ways between COVID and wildfires and earthquakes and hurricanes and everything else. You might be thinking about life insurance. Like, what do I do to protect my family in case, God forbid, something should happen to me? Well, shopping for life insurance can seem daunting. Policy Genius makes it easy. They combine a cutting-edge insurance marketplace with help from licensed experts to save you time and money. Right now, you could save 50% or more by using Policy Genius to compare life insurance. When you're shopping for a policy that could last for more than a decade, the savings really do start to add up. Here's how it works. First, head on over to policygenius.com. In minutes, you can work out how much coverage you need, and you can compare quotes from top insurers and find your best price. Policy Genius will compare policies starting at as little as $1 a day. You might even be eligible to skip that in-person medical exam. Once you apply, the Policy Genius team will handle all the paperwork and the red tape. The best part, they work for you, not the insurance company. So if you hit any speed bumps during the application process, they'll take care of everything soup to nuts. So if you need life insurance, head on over to policygenius.com right now to get started. You could save 50% or more by comparing quotes today. Policy Genius, when it comes to insurance, it is nice and extremely, extremely important to get it right. Okay, so the Wall Street Journal has a couple of reports detailing the rest of the sort of Bobolinsky story. One, the headline says, Hunter Biden's ex-business partner alleges father knew about venture. However, corporate records reviewed by the Wall Street Journal show no record for Joe Biden. According to the Wall Street Journal, the Biden campaign denied that Joe had any involvement in this Chinese venture with this oil company or stood to gain by it. Bobolinsky said he was rankled by Joe Biden's public statements. He never discussed the international business activities of Hunter and other family members. He also cited nearly $5 million in payments. A Senate Republican report last month said that CEFC made to Hunter Biden's law firm as another reason to come forward. Bobolinsky said he took part in a meeting with Hunter, Joe Biden, and Joe Biden's brother, James Biden, in L.A. in 2017 when they discussed the Biden family business plans with the Chinese, of which Joe Biden was plainly familiar, at least at a high level. A Biden campaign spokesman didn't immediately respond to a question about the alleged meeting with Bobolinsky. James Biden and an attorney for Hunter Biden didn't respond to requests for comment, and then they, of course, issued from the campaign this blanket denial. Text messages and emails related to the venture that were provided to the journal by Bobolinsky, mainly from the spring and summer of 2017, don't show either Hunter Biden or James Biden discussing a role for Joe in the venture. Mr. Gilliar, who's one of the partners, told the journal, I'd like to clear up any speculation that former VP Biden was involved with the 2017 discussions about our potential business structure. I'm unaware of any involvement at any time of the former VP. The activity in question never delivered any project revenue. Okay, which sounds like maybe, just maybe, the project was on the road and then it sort of fell apart. Kimberly Strassel has a report over at the Wall Street Journal on this. She says that Bobolinsky's text messages show he was recruited for the project by that James Gilliar character, a Hunter associate. Gilliar explains in a December 2015 text there will be a deal between the Chinese and, quote, one of the most prominent families from the United States. A month later, he introduces Rob Walker, also a partner of Biden. In March 2016, Gilliar told Bobolinsky the Chinese entity was CEFC, which was shaping up to be the Goldman's of China, meaning Goldman Sachs. Gilliar promised that same month to develop the terms of a deal with Hunter. At this point, Joe Biden, of course, was still vice president. As the deal began to take shape in 2017, Bobolinsky began to question what Hunter would contribute besides his name and worried he was, quote, kicked out of the U.S. Navy for cocaine use. Gilliar acknowledged skill sets missing and observed that Hunter has a few demons. He explained that in brand, Hunter is imperative, but right now he's not essential for adding input. Hunter was hardly visible through most of the work until final negotiations ramped up in mid-May. He brought in his uncle Jim Biden for a stake. 
Hunter, in texts and emails, wanted offices in three U.S. cities, significant travel budgets, a stipend for Jim, a job for an assistant, and more frequent distributions of any gains. And of course, he explained that he wanted a hell of a lot more than $850,000 per year because his ex-wife would nearly take all of it. Hunter repeatedly made clear that his contribution was his name. He railed at Bobulinski that the CEFC heads are, quote, coming to be my partner, to be partners with the Bidens. He then reminds him that in this instance, only one player holds the Trump card, and that's me. May not be fair, but it's the reality because I'm the only one putting on and putting an entire family legacy on the line. Joe Biden claims he had never discussed his son's business, but of course, there was that May 2017 expectations letter, including that 10% for, quote unquote, the big guy. In one text, Hunter said, quote, my chairman gave an emphatic no to a version of the deal. Bobulinski suggested that the chairman referred to Joe Biden. The deal fell through on the Chinese end in the summer of 2017. So is it possible that Hunter was freelancing, that he was going around, that, that Joe had spent years basically patting him on the head, telling him to go pick up bags of cash if he could help him, and that now Joe was out of office and Hunter wanted to help him out, so he was freelancing, and every so often he would run something by Joe. Certainly possible, certainly plausible. Is it true that Joe Biden, while he was VP, probably knew what Hunter was up to? Yeah, that is, that is probably true. Okay, so here's the problem. Nobody in the media wants to talk about this story at all. They don't find it interesting or fascinating at all that Joe Biden has throughout his career engaged in sort of the low-level corruption that many public officials do, right? Getting sweetheart mortgages and that sort of thing. Well, or at least a sweetheart land deal from, from people who are interested in some of the legislation on the table when he was in the Senate. And NPR put out an actual statement before the denial, before the denial from the Biden campaign. Here's what NPR's public editor said, quote, we don't want to waste our time on stories that are not really stories. And we don't want to waste listeners and readers' time on stories that are just pure distraction. That is unbelievable. That is a taxpayer-funded journalistic institution openly declaring that they simply will not engage, that they are not interested whatsoever in the story, preemptively. So the media, I mean, so all this is the lead up to the debate, right? The media are obviously and clearly on the side of Joe Biden, which means that the debate, the stakes are really high because now this is basically the last chance for Trump to set the table, for Trump to change the topic, and for Trump to shift the course of the race. Now, members of the media, again, it wasn't just NPR, many members of the media were over and over declaring that the Hunter Biden story was not, in fact, a story. They kept declaring without any evidence whatsoever that it was Russian disinformation. So NBC's Hallie Jackson, she, she actually just continued to say that this is Russian disinformation. There is no information this is Russian disinformation at this point. The DNI, John Ratcliffe, has openly denied that the Hunter Biden emails are Russian disinformation. By the way, no one has yet suggested that the Hunter Biden emails and texts are fake because they are not, as it turns out. doesn't matter. The, the great journalists over at NBC are declaring this stuff Russian disinformation. You also have the president focusing, uh, it seems, on Hunter Biden, Joe Biden's son, and his dealings overseas, these unverified emails. Many intelligence experts have said those emails carry all the hallmarks, rather, of a disinformation, foreign disinformation campaign, essentially. Uh, that, that is absolutely wrong. And, and again, it is not just the media with regard to the Hunter Biden story. It's with regard to everything. Right, Leslie Stahl did the 60 Minutes episode with Trump. And it sounds like she was pretty adversarial toward Trump, like over and over and over. Trump said to Stahl, you won't ask Biden tough questions. That, of course, is exactly true. The interview went so poorly that Trump decided to basically throw out the entire interview into the public view. He, he took his own tape. By the way, this is not a bad idea. He took his own public tape and then he just threw it out there. Here was Trump saying to Stahl, you're not going to ask Biden any tough questions. Your first statement to me, this is going to be tough questions. Well, I don't mind that. But when you set up the interview, you didn't say that. You said, oh, let's have a lovely interview. And, and here's what I do say. So why? You don't ask Joe Biden 
I saw your interview with Joe, the interview with I Joe. I never Biden. did a joke. It was a joke. The interview, 60 Minutes. I see Joe Biden giving softball after softball. I've seen all of his interviews. He's never been asked a question that's hard. Okay, and then Leslie Stahl went out of her way to defend Hunter Biden and suggest there was nothing to any of the allegations, like in the middle of the interview with Trump, which is you know heavy journalism here. I think it's one of the biggest scandals I've ever seen, and you don't cover it. Because you want to talk about... Well, because it can't be verified. You want to talk I'm about insignificant you. things. I'm telling you. Of course it can be verified. Excuse we, me, we they found the laptop. Leslie, Leslie. can't be verified. What can't be verified? The laptop. Why do you say that? Because Even the family hasn't... Uh, Trump is exactly right here, of course. Okay, so this is the burden for Trump going into the debate, is that he has to fight not just Joe Biden, who really has been able to hide out in his basement the entire campaign. He has to fight a media that overtly wishes to see him lose. They're very obvious that they don't wish to cover anything that has to do with Joe Biden. So that was the setup. Now, Kristen Welker, who was the moderator last night from NBC, uh, she was widely expected by people on the right not to be very good. It turns out that she actually did a fairly good job last night. Yes, her questions were biased from the left, but overall, she did a pretty fair job as Trump himself acknowledged, which was good. It gave Trump an opportunity to actually ask some tough questions. And Trump did show up to play. It was a very different Trump who showed up to the debate last night than the first debate. In the first debate, he wanted to be aggressive, but because I think, as I had mentioned in the past week and a half, ever since the Commission on Presidential Debate announced they were going to mute the mics, I thought that was actually very good for Trump because it essentially cudgeled him into doing what he should have been doing anyway, which is let Joe Biden talk and then pick him apart after Joe Biden talks. And that happened repeatedly last night. This is a much better debate for President Trump. I thought the first debate was basically a disaster area for him. I thought it underscored all the worst things about him. The debate last night allowed him to highlight aspects of his record that were good. It allowed him to really badger Joe Biden when he needed to badger Joe Biden about the fact that Joe Biden is a career politician who happens to be low-level corrupt and has been for a very, very long time. It allowed him to point out that Joe Biden has been useless for five decades in the Senate and then as vice president. It was a good showing for Trump. Now, it would have been better if the moderator had actually allowed there to be talk of foreign policy because foreign policy has actually been Trump's strong suit. There are a few aspects of foreign policy that got touched on, but overall, a much, much better showing for Trump. Every memorable moment of the debate last night was a Trump moment, every single one. In the last one, that was true too, but that's just because he was talking over Biden the whole time. And the most memorable moment of that debate was probably Biden telling him to shut up. In this debate, the memorable moments all came from Trump and they all left Biden wrong-footed and on the defense. So the first question to be asked about the debate is number one, whether it could possibly make a difference. The, the polls after the debate for what they are worth showed not a lot of movement. That's not a great shock, but I don't think that the debate for Trump was really so much about getting independents to vote for him rather than to Biden. I think what it was about was making Republicans more comfortable voting for him. So I put out this video a week ago now talking about why I was going to vote for Trump. And I laid forth three reasons why I was going to vote for Trump. The first reason was because Trump has governed much more conservative than I thought he was. The second reason which is the one under dispute, is I said that most of the damage or all of the damage that I think Trump has done to the public discourse and to the social fabric through his personality, the damage is already done and it can't be undone. So there is no point in not voting for him. It's not going to worsen. Trump is the same every day. And then there's point number three, which is the Democrats have gone damned crazy. They've lost their mind. Well, I think that last night, all three of those points were proved. Trump was very conservative last night. He said a lot of very good conservative things. Second, Trump contained himself, right? And this was the big one. Trump contained himself because as Guy Benson, my friend Guy Benson over at townhall.com and Fox News has said, my second point was the one that people, some people on the right quibble with, right? Some of the people who have not yet quote unquote come home for Trump. 
They'll say, well, yeah, but I'm still too uncomfortable with Trump to vote for him. Yeah, I know that you're right. He's more conservative and that Biden and the Democrats have gone wild left, but I'm still really uncomfortable. Trump made people feel more comfortable on the right last night. Independents are still going to feel uncomfortable with him. But overall, Trump's personality last night, his willingness to discuss his own record last night, it was so much better. And it made people, I think, who were hesitant to vote for Trump, but were going to vote for Trump, if forced to the choice, they'd vote for Trump over Biden, but they were hesitant to actually go out to the polls. I think now they will be more enthusiastic about going out to the polls. And that may make a huge difference in a lot of these very, very tight swing states. Again, the swing states right now are still extremely tight. The national race seems like it is a quote unquote runaway, although it looks like the numbers are starting to drop a little bit for Joe Biden. The Real Clear Politics national average has now dropped below 8% for the first time in several weeks. And there are several polls showing this thing very close. There's an IBD TIPP poll that came out yesterday showing Biden up only four. There is a Rasmussen report poll that came out the day before showing Biden up only three. There are other reports from economists and Reuters that still have Biden up nine or 10. But you're starting to see more of these sort of outlying polls. There's a Hill-Harris poll that showed Biden up only four. There are a few outlying polls that are starting to show just glimmers, just glimmers, that perhaps Trump isn't down all that far nationally. And in the States, he is not down all that far. Right? If you look at North Carolina, it's basically within margin of error. Ohio is within margin of error. Florida is within margin of error. If you look at Arizona, Arizona, there was a poll yesterday that showed that, that essentially it was a one-point race in Arizona, meaning within margin of error. It's dead even in Arizona. I had on Chris Polster, Kristen Soltis-Anderson on the radio show yesterday, and she sort of laid forth the various scenarios by which Trump could win. She said there's basically two sets of states to watch. There's the Sun Belt, and then there's the Rust Belt states. I'll explain what to watch in just one second. First, let's talk for a second about, it's pretty obvious when you don't get a good night's rest. So last night, I did not get a good night's rest. I was up till very, very late covering the debate. Then I was up very, very early this morning. That means on the moments in between when my young daughter was not waking me up to have yet another bottle because she is a growing and babbling baby. When she was not doing that, I needed to sleep. And that is why I'm so grateful that I have a Helix Sleep mattress. Helix Sleep, they've got a quiz. It takes just two minutes for you to complete and matches your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress for you. Whether you're a side sleeper or a hot sleeper, whether you like a plush or from bed with Helix, there's no more confusion and no more compromising. Helix Sleep is rated the number one mattress by GQ and Wired Magazine CNN, called it the most comfortable mattress they've ever slept on. Just head on over to helixsleep.com slash Ben, take their two-minute sleep quiz. They will match you to a customized mattress that'll give you the best sleep of your life. They've got a 10-year warranty. You get to try it out for 100 nights risk-free. They'll even pick it up for you if you don't love it, but you will. Helix is offering up to 200 bucks off all mattress orders for our listeners right now. Get up to 200 bucks off at helixsleep.com slash Ben. That is helixsleep.com slash Ben. Okay, so in those state polls, again, you've got the Sunbelt states and you've got the Rust Belt states. The Sunbelt states are Arizona, Florida, North Carolina. Trump needs to win all three. He won all three last time. Then you have the Rust Belt states. Those are Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania. If Trump wins the Sunbelt states, he needs to win at least one of the Rust Belt states. Okay, right now, Michigan looks like it's getting away from him. The polls in Michigan look pretty broad at this point. If you look at, at Wisconsin, Wisconsin is about a five-point Biden lead, so it's within kind of vision. Uh, and Pennsylvania is also within about five. So both of those are maybes for Trump. If you really stretch, right, if things really change, just three points maybe, then you could see Trump picking that up, and then you can see poll error playing with the rest. So Trump needs to make a move in Wisconsin and Pennsylvania. In Arizona, as I've said, he's running very close. In Florida, very close. In North Carolina, very close. Okay, so that marginal change could make a huge difference for Trump. This is why that debate mattered. 
Now, people are going to point out that not a lot of people change their mind. Again, not about people changing their mind. It's about the level of enthusiasm for Trump. And I'm not talking about like the hardcore Trump base. I'm talking about people who look at Trump, cringe a little, and think, do I really need to vote for that guy? Well, last night, he made them a little more comfortable voting for him. As I've always said, the art of politics is making it very difficult to vote for your opponent and very easy to vote for you. Trump has generally been pretty good at the former and very bad at the latter. Last night, he was much better at the latter. And that was a big, big thing. Okay, so now finally, we reach the debate. The stakes were quite high. The debate opened with talk about COVID. So this is always a topic that is going to be a problem for Trump, simply because no matter who's president of the United States, if a bunch of people die while you're president of the United States, people tend to blame you. We have this very paganistic view in the United States of what the president can do. If the economy is bad, it's the president's fault. If the economy is good, it's the president's credit. If people die, it's the president's fault. If people don't die, it's to the president's credit. It's this bizarre sort of weird fixation on who is the president of the United States, as though the president has a magic wand and can just make everything better at a moment's notice. So if there is a pandemic and it kills 200,000 people, obviously that's not going to redound to the benefit of the president. And this is where Biden really looked to make hay early on in the debate. So the truth is that Trump's first answer on COVID was pretty good, right? He could have expressed it more smoothly, but his general take was, listen, this has been bad. It's also a global pandemic. And pretending that we did anything that is sort of an outlying policy or that we blew it in some serious way, I'm going to need to see some evidence of that. Here was Trump yesterday. 2.2 million people modeled out were expected to die. It's a worldwide pandemic. It's all over the world. You see the spikes in Europe and many other places right now. I can tell you from personal experience that uh, I was in the hospital. I had it. And I got better, and I will tell you that uh, I had something that they gave me, a therapeutic, I guess they would call it. Some people could say it was a cure. But uh, I was in for a short period of time, and I got better very fast, or I wouldn't be here tonight. It will go away, and as I say, we're rounding the turn, we're rounding the corner. It's going away. Okay, so that sort of language is what Joe Biden has historically pounced on. So Joe Biden has been telling one lie on COVID. It's a lie the media wish to reflect, and that is that if— Donald Trump had handled this wildly differently than hundreds of thousands of people would be alive today. Hundreds of thousands of people. If you got an empty chair at your table, that is Donald Trump's fault. If Jason from the Halloween thrillers is in the closet, that is Donald Trump's fault. If the dog crapped the carpet, that's Donald Trump's fault, right? COVID, which again has killed literally hundreds of thousands of people all across the world. If Donald Trump had not been president, everything would have been hunky-dory here in the United States which is weird because it turns out that a lot of places where Democrats are in charge, lots and lots of people died. In fact, on a death per million basis, virtually all of the worst states in terms of who was hardest hit were Democratic states. Okay, but Joe Biden has this narrative. He's going to run with it. And the narrative is it's all doom and gloom. Of course, the moment that Biden is elected, it won't be doom and gloom anymore is the idea. But here was Joe Biden overtly suggesting that Donald Trump is responsible for every American who died of COVID, which is just crazy. I mean, I'm sorry, it's a crazy, immoral statement. It is immoral to suggest this. It's absolutely immoral. It's, it's I, I can't express how immoral I think it is to suggest that the president of the United States is responsible for every single person who dies while they are president of the United States from a global pandemic that has taken hundreds of thousands of lives all across the world. But here is Joe Biden making that suggestion anyway. 220,000 Americans dead. If you hear nothing else I say tonight, hear this. Anyone who's responsible for not taking control in fact, not saying I'm, I take no responsibility initially. Anyone who's responsible for that many deaths should not remain as president of the United States of America. If we just wore these masks, the president's own advisors have told him, 
We could save 100,000 lives. So this is the same fellow who told you this is going to end by Easter last time. This is the same fellow who told you that, don't worry, we're going to end this by the summer. We're about to go into a dark winter, a dark winter. And he has no clear plan, and there's no prospect that there's going to be a vaccine available for the majority of the American people before the middle of next year. Okay, so if, if Trump ends up winning the election in a week and a half, one big reason is going to be because people don't want the doom and gloom. They don't want to hear the doom and gloom. That is doom and gloom stuff there from Joe Biden. There's not going to be a vaccine until the middle of next year. He's lying about the vaccine. If everybody just wore the mask, we would have saved 100,000 lives, which... Again, I have serious doubts as to whether that is in fact the case, considering that if you look at the actual data, what you see is that when there are spikes, people put on the masks. Virtually everywhere in the United States, red states, blue states, as soon as there are spikes, people put on the masks. And by the way, in Italy, the masking is really heavy and they're seeing a second surge in cases anyway. And so, so Joe Biden is, is preaching doom and gloom. Right? Trump is not preaching doom and gloom. And so this is where I think Trump started to make hay. He started to turn the tide, I thought, about 15 minutes into this discussion when he started talking about lockdown policy. And Biden didn't want to hear anything about it, right? Biden doesn't want to hear that we're going to reopen. Biden doesn't want to hear any of that. He wants to keep talking us back into the basement. He wants to keep talking us back into COVID depression. He believes that if we're oppressed about COVID, we vote for him. So believe it or not, Trump is the candidate of optimism on COVID. It is Biden who is the candidate of pessimism, doom and gloom, eternal nuclear winter. Here was Trump versus Biden on this issue. We're learning to live with it. We have no choice. We can't lock ourselves up in a basement like Joe does. He has the <laughs> he has the ability to lock himself up. I don't know. He's obviously made a lot of money someplace, but he has this thing about living in a basement. People can't do that. By the way, I, as the president, couldn't do that. I'd love to put myself in the basement or in a beautiful room in the White House and go away for a year and a half until it disappears. I can't do that. I caught it. I learned a lot. I learned a lot, great doctors, great hospitals, and now I recovered. 99.9 of young people recover. 99% of people recover. We have to recover. We can't close up our nation. We have to open our school, and we can't close up our nation, or you're not going to have a nation. And of course, the CDC has said young people can get sick with COVID-19 and can pass it. People are learning to die with it. You folks home will have an empty chair at the kitchen table this morning. That man or wife going to bed tonight and reaching over to try to touch their out of habit where their wife or husband was is gone. Learning to live with it. Come on. We're dying with it because he has never said, you see, you said it's dangerous. When's the last time? Is it really dangerous still? Are we dangerous? You tell the people it's dangerous now. What should they do about the danger? And you say, I take no responsibility. Okay, I don't know what the hell Biden is talking about at the end there. But that is the contrast in vision, right? Trump saying correctly, we have to learn to live with it, which, by the way, is the exact same thing European leaders are saying. Emmanuel Macron has said this. Boris Johnson has said this. Everyone in Europe is saying the exact same thing. Joe Biden is saying we can't learn to live with it. We have to we're learning to die with it. Right. It's, it's all like apocalyptic doom saying from Joe Biden over and over and over. And then he went on to say we're going to lose another 200,000 people by the end of the winter. Right. OK, that's. I mean. If you're trying to scare the living crap out of people so they'll vote for you, good luck. I mean, if the, I think there may be a secret backlash to this. Right? If the polls are wrong, and I'm not saying the polls are wrong because I, I tend to be much more of a poll believer than most other people. But if the polls are wrong, it's because they're underestimating the amount that Americans are sick and tired of hearing from Democrats how many Americans are going to die at Trump's hands and that we can never go back to regular life and that we will be wearing masks for the rest of eternity and that our businesses will be locked down. If there is a brewing sort of under 
uh, brewing underground against lockdown culture, it's going to manifest in in the election. So we'll see whether that whether that happens. Joe Biden, for his part, he denied he was going to shut down the country, but then he suggested he's going to shut down the virus, not the country. He said, "I'm going to shut down the virus," but he's made no actual plan as to how he's going to shut down the virus. I understand he can hold up a little cloth mask, but guess what? Again, masking is really prevalent in Europe, at least in France, Germany, Italy. They're, ha- they're experiencing a second wave. Right? There are blue areas that were hit really hard the first time that are experiencing a second wave. So Biden's plan to, quote unquote, shut down the virus, it's not a plan at all. It's not even close to a plan. Everything that he says is his plan is actually Trump's plan. Here is Biden saying that he was going to shut down the virus, not the country, but then admitting that he has not ruled out more shutdowns. I'm going to shut down the virus, not the country. It's his ineptitude that caused the, vi- caused the country to have to shut down in large part. Why businesses have gone under, why schools are closed. Those other concerns are real. That's why he should have been, instead of in a sand trap in his golf course, he should have been negotiating with Nancy Pelosi and the rest of the Democrats and Republicans about what to do about the acts they were passing for billions of dollars to make sure people had the capacity. But you haven't ruled out more shutdowns. Oh, well, no. No, I, I haven't. No, I haven't ruled out more shutdowns. And Trump immediately comes back at him. And again, this is good from Trump. He says all he does is talk about shutdowns. It's literally all the guy does. All day long, he just talks about shutdowns. Democrats keep talking about shutdowns. We have to open everything, is what Trump says. That may be a vision that Americans are going to embrace, particularly if you have kids. And Democrats keep talking about shutting down the schools. I can tell you on a firsthand level, my kids were in Zoom school from March all the way until like the last two weeks. The radical difference in their lives in our life, since they've been able to go to school because we are now in Florida, it's a radical difference. It is not even close. Their life is much better. They are learning. They are enjoying their life. Okay, there are a lot of people out there who are not on board with the lockdown culture. Here was Trump fighting back against Biden on this. All he does is talk about shutdowns, but forget about him. Democrats, Democrats all, they're shut down so tight and they're dying. We're not going to shut down, and we have to open our schools. People are losing their jobs. They're committing suicide. There's depression, alcohol, drugs at a level that nobody's ever seen before. There's abuse, tremendous abuse. We have to open our country. You know, I've said it often. The cure cannot be worse than the problem itself. And that's what's happening. And he wants to close down. He'll close down the country if one person in our in our massive bureaucracy says we should close it down. Okay, so that was again, I thought that the conversation which turned quickly from Trump's rhetoric to what's going to happen from here on in. That conversation certainly benefits Trump. And then you got to a very weird Biden statement to sort of conclude that conversation in which Biden suggested I mean, now he's not just cribbing from Neil Kinnock like back in the 1980s. Now he's just cribbing from his boss's playbook, right? He's just ripping off Barack Obama's playbook. He does this. There are no blue states. There are no red states. But also the red states suck. It was very weird. Here was Joe Biden saying that there are no blue states or red states, but um, the red states are terrible. Take a look at what New York has done in terms of turning the curve down in terms of the number of people dying. And I don't look at this in terms of the way he does. Blue states and red states. They're all the United States. And look at the states that are having such a spike in the coronavirus. They're the red states. They're the states in the Midwest. They're the states in the upper Midwest. That's where the spike is occurring significantly. But they're all Americans. They're all Americans. And what we have to do is say, wear these masks, number one. Make sure we get the help that the businesses need. Okay, so I'm just enjoying him saying, there's no blue states and there's no red states, but the red states are really botching this thing. But it's bad when Trump says the blue states botched this thing. Mm -hmm. Okay, in just a second, we're going to get to 
the second message that Trump was promoting. So first message that he was promoting in the early going is that Biden is captain lockdown, which is true. The second message that he was promoting was a character message, and that was Joe Biden is not this clean and pristine politician. Joe Biden is a typical corrupt politician. We'll get to that message in just one second, because I do think that Trump successfully made some headway there. We'll get to that in one second. First, let's talk about the fact that right now is a terrible time to go to the auto parts store. In fact, you know what's a terrible time to go to the auto parts store? Anytime on a calendar or on your watch. That is because auto parts stores, you're going to go there. They're going to ask you very specific questions. You're not going to know the answer. They're going to get a generic part that isn't great. Or they're going to order a part online that now takes a week and a half to, to reach you. And then they'll upcharge you for having done the ordering themselves. Or theoretically, you could just order it yourself and cut out the middleman and save money. RockAuto.com is the way to do this. They offer the lowest prices possible rather than changing prices based on what the market will bear like airlines do. Why would you spend up to twice as much for the same parts? RockAuto.com. It's a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Head on over to RockAuto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. Best of all, prices at RockAuto.com are always reliably low and the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. Why would you spend up to twice as much for the same parts? Again, RockAuto.com. It's cataloged unique, remarkably easy to navigate, Quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle. Choose the brand, specifications, and prices you prefer. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. RockAuto.com. Head on over to RockAuto.com right now. See all the parts available for your car or truck. Write Shapiro in there. How did you hear about us, Box? So they know that we sent you. Okay, so then we move to Trump's second line of attack. And the second line of attack for Trump is that Joe Biden is corrupt. Right? That Joe Biden has portrayed himself as this nice elderly gentleman who is pure as the driven snow. And that ain't true. Joe Biden has been spending 47 years picking up little bennies on the side, which is not uncommon, but it is kind of gross. And so Trump did a good job of redirecting this conversation. So Biden suggested that Trump had lied to the American people about COVID, which, again, the evidence is just not there for that. Even Bob Woodward didn't really believe that Trump knew the thing was airborne in early February. Nobody. The CDC didn't say it was airborne until like July. In any case, Joe Biden suggested that Trump somehow concocted this bizarre Wall Street scheme where he knew the COVID was going to be really bad. And so he told all of his Wall Street buddies, but not the American people, so they could short sell the market. And Trump came right back at him pretty strong. Here was the uh, Trump versus Biden exchange. He didn't want to tell us because he didn't want us to panic. He didn't want us. Americans don't panic. He panicked. But guess what? In the meantime, we find out in the New York Times the other day that, in fact, his folks went to Wall Street and said this is a really dangerous thing. And a memo out of that meeting, not from his administration, but from some of the brokers, said sell short. You're the one that takes all the money from Wall Street. I don't take it. I have. You, you have raised a lot of money, tremendous amounts of money. And every time you raise money, deals are made, Joe. I could raise so much more money as president and as somebody that knows most of those people. I could call the heads of Wall Street, the heads of every company in America. I would blow away every record, but I don't want to do that because it puts me in a bad position. And then you bring up Wall Street. You shouldn't be bringing up Wall Street because you're the one that takes the money from Wall Street, not me. Okay, and Joe Biden looking a little awkward there because that is the fact. I mean, Joe Biden is out raising Trump on Wall Street something like five to one. He's out raising him in Silicon Valley like 99 to one. So the the notion that Joe Biden is somehow not corrupt and that Trump is corrupt with regard to Wall Street is a pretty rich one. Okay, then it went further, right? Then we finally got to the Hunter Biden stuff. Okay, so you knew that Trump was going to bring this up. He didn't tell the story wonderfully. Uh, in fact, some of the stuff that he said was an, over, was an overestimation of the truth, to put it kindly. Uh, that is particularly true when he was talking about business deals in which Hunter engaged. He, he kind of corrected himself as he went on. He said that it went to the Biden family, which is a vague way of sort of implying that Joe was involved without overtly saying that Joe was involved. 
At one point, he actually said that Joe had received direct cash from the Russian government, for example. Uh, That was not true. Uh, But if the goal here was to throw as much mud as possible at Joe Biden in an attempt to get people to be a little bit less enthusiastic about Biden, feel like he's just kind of, you know, maybe this was aimed at the Bernie bros a little bit. For, for Trump, Trump did this to Hillary last time, too. It was like she was taking Wall Street speeches and she was a corruptocrat and all of this. He did some of the same stuff to, to Joe Biden yesterday. So this, this particular conversation started off with Joe Biden saying that he was going to take on Putin, which is just absurd on its face. I mean, the, the, he was part of an administration that overtly allowed Russia to take over policymaking in Syria, that allowed Russia to invade Crimea, He was part of an administration that removed some of the defense capabilities of Eastern European countries. And he was the the Biden Biden Obama administration was awful with regard to Russia. But here was Joe Biden just lying about that because he did tell an awful lot of lies last night. Everything is going on here about Russia is wanting to make sure that I do not get elected the next president of the United States because they know I know them and they know me. I don't understand why this president is unwilling to take on Putin. Okay, again, the the Trump administration policy is significantly harsher on Russia than anything Obama ever did. In just one second, we'll get to Trump's counterattack, which again was this line, which is Joe Biden is corrupt. He's a longtime corrupt politician. Again, the the fact checkers are going to have a field day with some of the claims that Trump made here, because, again, some of the claims that Trump made here are just not right. But the overall implication, right, which that Trump was trying to make here, which is that the Bidens have been trading on the family name to enrich members of the Biden family. That is that is certainly true. And we'll get to that in one second. Biden did not really have a good defense for it. And Trump hammered it a lot last night. Okay, we'll get to that in just one second. Now, as you may know, know, this it, it can be difficult to find the right employees for the jobs at your company. And let's say, for example, that you have employees and they're all the way across the country and it is their job to make sure that all the broadcasts run smoothly and so you don't have to sit in a chair for like an hour before time just so they can get their technicals done. Well, you might think to yourself, well, if they don't do that job, perhaps I will head over to ZipRecruiter.com. Has that crossed my mind? Absolutely, it's crossed my mind. I've got to keep people on our toes here at The Daily Wire. Right now, you can try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Daily Wire. ZipRecruiter does all the work for you. When you post a job on ZipRecruiter, it gets sent out to over 100 job sites with just one click. Then ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology finds people with the right skills and experience for your job and then actively invites them to apply so you get the qualified candidates fast. It's no wonder four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get that quality candidate within the very first day. Right now, you can try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Daily Wire. That is ZipRecruiter.com slash D-A-I-L-Y-W-I-R-E. You may be stressed out about everything going on in the world right now, but don't be stressed out about your hiring. Try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash DailyWire. ZipRecruiter is indeed the smartest way to hire. Okay, so in just one second, we'll get back to the debate because here's where it really started to get hot and heavy. But first, it is that glorious time of the week when I give a shout out to a Daily Wire member. Today, it is Seth Heckman on Twitter who understands exactly what to get parents with young children. In the picture, the world's greatest beverage vessel is resting in a box with Iron Man, Captain America, and Spider-Man outfits. Good stuff. The caption reads, just gave my best friend the best gift I could think of as a baby gift. Superhero onesies and the leftist tears tumbler, also known as the strongest Avenger. Yes, the power of this elite tumbler is indeed unmatched. Well done, sir. Only, only the greatest can wield it. Thanks for the shout out and being a Daily Wire member. 2020, as you may have noticed, has been a crazy year. It feels like America is coming apart because it kind of is. There are underlying ideological and philosophical differences in the United States. Now, one of the questions I get so much from parents, college students, high school students is, 
what do I need to know about America's philosophy and history? What makes America unique? What is the best defense for America? Well, I wrote it, okay? It's called How to Destroy America in Three Easy Steps. The book is about American philosophy, history, and culture, why they are under attack by a disintegrationist viewpoint that views America as deeply evil in its inception, views American philosophy as an obstacle to utopia, and views American institutions as something that need to be ripped down. Go pick up my book right now, How to Destroy America in Three Easy Steps. It has never been more, more relevant. It will continue to be relevant post-election. It is an excellent primer on exactly what's coming, not just in this election, but for years to come. It's going to be the great ideological battle, and my book spells it out right now, How to Destroy America in Three Easy Steps. Also, more news. This Sunday, we have another great episode of the Sunday Special with Jared Kushner, senior advisor to President Trump. Jared joined the show to share his experience with Trump and to remind the American people of the administration's accomplishments that... He says we'll continue given four more years in office. It was a great conversation. I think that you will enjoy it. Here is just a little bit of it. You know, this is what I call the swamp's last stand. And, uh, and I think that this is really the last chance for the American people to truly have an outsider uh, in Washington. And hopefully when the president wins, he'll be in a position where he'll uh, just accelerate the changes uh, that, he's, that he's been able to make and really uh, drain the swamp and, and truly bring you know, power in America back to the American people. Make sure to check it out this Sunday. Or if you're an All Access member, you can watch it a whole day earlier. Head on over to dailywire.com right now. Subscribers can listen this Sunday on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever else you get your podcasts. You are listening to the fastest growing conservative podcast and radio show in the nation. Okay, so Trump had a couple of messages. First message, Biden is captain of lockdown. He's going to lock you down. He's never going to let you out of lockdown. And honestly, given how Democrats are governing, not super wrong. They're still talking about school shutdowns when the data on school shutdowns is available and it demonstrates school shutdowns are a very bad idea. Second message Trump was trying to promote last night is that Biden is a longtime corrupt politician. So he went directly after Biden. As I say, it is worth noting here that some of these claims are just not true. And I think that for the sake of honesty, we should point out that they are not true. However, some of these claims are in fact true. They're not all false. Here's Trump, clip 23, talking about Joe Biden and uh, receiving money from foreign sources, or at least his family doing so. Joe got three and a half million dollars from Russia, and it came through Putin because he was very friendly with the former mayor of Moscow, and it was the mayor of Moscow's wife. And you got three and a half million dollars. Your family got three and a half million dollars. And, you know, someday you're going to have to explain why did you get three and a half? I think you have to clean it up and talk to the American people. Maybe you can do it right now. I have not taken a penny from any foreign source ever in my life. We learned that this president paid 50 times the tax in China, has a secret bank account with China, does business in China, and in fact is talking about me taking money. I have not taken a single penny from any country whatsoever, ever, number one. Number two, this is a president. I have released all of my tax returns. The foreign countries are paying you a lot. Russia's paying you a lot. China's paying you a lot. I don't make money from China. You do. I don't make money from Ukraine. You do. I don't make money from Russia. You made three and a half million dollars, Joe, and your son gave you. They even have a statement that we have to give 10 percent to the big man. You're the big man, I think. I don't know. Maybe you're not. But you're the big man, I think. Your son said we have to give 10 percent to the big man. Joe, what's that all about? Okay, so Trump is conflating a bunch of different claims right here. It is true that Hunter Biden picked up three and a half million dollars from the wife of Moscow's mayor. It is not true. There's no evidence to suggest that Joe Biden benefited from that, at least not directly. 
Okay, it is true that Hunter Biden was picking up enormous checks in Ukraine based on the Biden family name. It is not true, or at least there is no evidence to the effect that Joe Biden was picking up any of that cash. It is true that Hunter Biden was picking up bags of cash in China. And this is where things have gotten a little dicey for Biden. There are emails suggesting that perhaps Joe Biden had something to do with it. Joe Biden has denied all of that. But here's the bottom line. If you're watching this debate, and this is the first time you're hearing any of this, this does change your impression of Joe Biden just a little bit. Because it turns out that Joe Biden actually overstated his defense of all of this. And there is something deeply suspicious about the fact that in American politics, and it is more typical of all politicians, that in American politics, you enter office, middle class or poor, and you leave office rich. That is a weird thing. Okay, Joe Biden does own a bevy of extremely expensive houses. This is a man who entered office really worth nothing. His net worth right now, Joe Biden's, is not particularly low. According to Mary Claire, Joe is worth about $9 million. Okay, so that's a nice thing, right? That's according to Forbes. It was based on a total portfolio of 4 million bucks in real estate, cash investments worth 4 million bucks, and a federal pension worth more than a million bucks. Okay, so that seems like a pretty good living for, uh, for somebody who spent his entire career in government. Now, some of that is fairly typical. You know, kind of nice deals that you get from your neighbors. Right? People who have business before you and just do you a favor here or there. That, that's not atypical. But that's kind of the point, is that Joe Biden is a typical swamp creature, and he has been a swamp creature for a very long time. Right here is, uh, and, and it's also true, by the way, that there is very solid evidence that all of Joe Biden's family members have made an awful lot of money off of Joe Biden's name over the course of Joe Biden's career. Here was Trump going after Biden again on this. I was put through a phony witch hunt for three years. It started before I even got elected. They spied on my campaign. No president should ever have to go through what I went through. Let me just say this. Mueller and 18 angry Democrats and FBI agents all over the place spent $48 million. They went through everything I had, including my tax returns, and they found absolutely no collusion and nothing wrong. $48 million. I guarantee you, if I spent $1 million on you, Joe, I could find plenty wrong. Because right. the kind of things that you've done and the kind of monies that your family has taken, I mean, your brother made money in Iraq, me... millions of dollars. Your other brother made a fortune. And it's all through you, Joe. And they say you get some of it. And you do live very well. You have houses all over the place. Okay. And again, Joe Biden kind of laughing that one off. But he is worth $9 million. Now, some of that, I'm sure, is book money. I'm sure a lot of that is pension. But again, there are serious questions to be asked about why it is that every member of our public coterie goes into office poor and leaves office rich. Okay, that, that, is a, that is a real thing. This did lead Joe Biden to actually overtly say something that is not true. Okay, And that was, he, he didn't just claim that he had done nothing unethical, which again, he can claim. And he can claim that he never violated the law. And frankly, I sort of believe that. I don't, I don't see any evidence that Joe Biden violated the law. But when he says that Hunter never did anything unethical, there you start to really... I mean, Hunter admitted on national TV that he used his daddy's name to traffic in Ukraine so that he could make a buttload of money. I mean, that, that is overtly... When he says Hunter never did anything unethical, now Joe Biden has linked himself with Hunter. He's tied himself to Hunter. And this is a huge political error. It also happens to be a lie that, that, Trump, that Hunter never did anything unethical. Nothing was unethical. Here's what the deal. His son... Didn't have a job for a long time, was sadly no longer in the military service. I won't get into that. And he didn't have a job. As soon as he became vice president, Barisma, not the best look, not the best reputation in the world. I hear they paid him one hundred and eighty three thousand a month. Listen to this. 
183, and they gave him a $3 million upfront payment. All right. And he had no I, energy I'm going to let the vice president That's respond to that quickly, and then dishonest. I need to get to a question to you. Very No quickly, basis for that. Everybody investigated that. No one said anything he did was wrong in Ukraine. Nobody said that anything Hunter Biden did in Ukraine was wrong? Okay, there's a difference in legally wrong, and I'm using my VP daddy's name to make bank on a natural gas company in Burisma while my dad is in charge of Ukraine policy. In fact, the remembers that, I mean, that's overtly false. The State Department warned the Obama administration that this looked corrupt. And people were told, don't talk to Joe about it because he's too concerned about what's going on with Bo because Bo at the time was suffering from brain cancer. So no, that's just not true. That's just not true. And Trump kept hammering this home, like over and over, he kept hammering this home. And finally, Biden responded. And this was, I thought, maybe the best moment of the night for Donald Trump. Joe Biden finally got tired of all of this and he pivoted to what was obviously a pre-planned response. Right? Every, the, the, before a debate, you always write a few responses, knowing exactly what's coming. Biden knew this was going to come up and he was waiting to deploy it. And finally, he deployed his pre-planned response. There's only one problem. Trump absolutely walloped him over it. This is the worst moment of the debate for Biden, bar none. This is clip 27. He doesn't want to talk about the, the, the substantive issues. It's not about his family and my family. It's about your family. And your family's hurting badly. If you're making less than, if you're a middle-class family, you're getting hurt badly right now. That's a typical seconds. political statement. Let's get off this China thing. And then he looks, the family, around the table, everything. Just right. a typical politician <laughs> when I see that. Let's talk I'm about not North a typical Korea. politician. Okay, That's why I got elected. <laughs> okay, so that is a great Debate tactic, okay? He just Chris Christie'd him. Do you remember back in 2016, Chris Christie, Marco Rubio, they were in a debate and Christie committed the world's first political murder-suicide. He was already basically done with the race. And so he just took out Rubio. Rubio had a shot at taking out Trump in New Hampshire. And Christie looked at Rubio and said, what you're going to say right now is that make no mistake, blah, 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 blah. And then Rubio came back and said, make no mistake, blah, blah, blah. And everyone, oh, boom, Christie called you up. Okay, that tactic is the most obnoxious tactic. When somebody goes faux sincere, when, some, when a serious issue is being discussed and then suddenly the candidate turns to the camera and says, the American people don't want to hear this. The American people want to hear about the things that affect them. For Trump to call that out and be like, Joe, you're so full of crap. I mean, honestly, you're like, we're in the middle of a conversation about family corruption and now you're going to do the kitchen table. Yeah, hey, yeah, yeah. You're a typical politician. It's why I got elected. It was the best moment for Trump. It was very, very funny. It was the best moment for Trump all night. And again, highlight the fact that Trump is not your typical politician, which in many cases is not ideal. But in this case, it's kind of ideal. That's kind of a good thing. Okay, that is not where the debate ended. And thus we continue. So the debate then turned to foreign policy. Biden put out one of the weirder lines of the night. He invoked Godwin's law, which really, I mean, he just brought up Hitler randomly in the middle of the debate. So Trump was talking about North Korea and how he has a good relationship with Kim Jong-un. And, uh, and then Biden started dropping weird historical references that just don't make any sense. So here was, here's a bit of that. They tried to meet with him. He I wouldn't didn't. do it. North Korea, we're not in a war. We have a good relationship. You know, people don't understand. Having a good relationship Trump, with leaders of on, other countries is a, a good country. thing. We have a lot of questions to get yes. to. Not Your response. Saying we had a good relationship with Hitler before he, in fact, invaded Europe, the rest of Europe. Come on. Come on. Okay, so as we'll see at the end of this, particular debate. We're going to do a montage of how many times Joe Biden said, come on. If Joe Biden keeps going back to come on, that is a tell he is not doing well in the debate. He was not doing well in the debate. In fact, the United States did not have a good relationship with Hitler in the lead up to World War II. Joe Biden later said he was joking. There's no evidence that he was joking. That was not a joke. Okay, he actually, 
The joke doesn't even make any sense if he thinks that we, we had a bad relationship. Like, that doesn't make any sense at all. Like, it just undercuts what he's trying to say right there. Then the debate turned to healthcare. So this is where I thought Kristen Welker, who I thought was pretty good all night, she asked a question about healthcare, but channeled it through the prism of Amy Coney Barrett. It was really weird. She was like, Amy Coney Barrett is being nominated for the Supreme Court. There's an Obamacare case before the Supreme Court. This is why Democrats oppose Amy Coney Barrett. It's like, no, that is not why Democrats oppose Amy Coney Barrett. Nonetheless, the conversation turned to healthcare. And as the debate went on, Biden started to drop more and more whoppers. So the whopper of the night was this one. So Biden was talking about Obamacare and his new plan, which is a public option. Now, let it be known, a public option only works. So, so the public option is not just for people who are not able to obtain private health insurance. You're allowed to opt into the private option, into the public option, which means that one of two things has to happen with the public option in order for people to want to opt into it. One, you have to undermine public insurance, private insurance rather, or two, you have to subsidize public insurance. So either you have to mandate that doctors take the public insurance, you have to mandate that doctors take a crappier form of insurance and reimbursement, or you have to subsidize the public option insurance such that it is actually better than private insurance, but you're doing it with taxpayer dollars and you run private insurance out of business. Everybody who takes this seriously understands the public options are generally designed to run private industry into the ground. They allow for the possibility of supplemental insurance, specialty insurance. You see this in some areas of Europe. But when it comes to overall private health insurance, everybody understands that a public option is designed as a first step toward getting rid of your private health insurance plans. Because either you have to restrict doctors so that they must take public insurance, in which case it's cheaper for me not to pay for my private insurance through my employer and just take the public option, or they have to subsidize the public option, in which case it is cheaper for me to go and take the public option. Right? The purpose of a public option is not to provide competition. It is not competition. It is a monopoly. A government public option is a monopoly. Okay, so all of that happens to be the case. But Joe Biden issued a whopper last night of cataclysmic proportions. He said that nobody lost their private insurance under Obamacare. This is just a lie. Okay, in 2013, the left-wing fact-checking site PolitiFact declared it was their lie of the year when Barack Obama said that nobody would lose their health insurance plan under Obamacare. And yet here is Joe Biden repeating it. Nonetheless, as you will see, the fact checkers after the debate, they assured us that Joe Biden is just, he's a nice old guy who barely ever lies. This is just, here he is repeating maybe the great lie of the decade. Here is Joe Biden. What I'm going to do is pass Obamacare with a public option. It'll become Biden care. The public option is an option that says that if you, in fact, do not have the wherewithal to be, if you qualify for Medicaid and you do not have the wherewithal in your state to get Medicaid, you automatically are enrolled, providing competition for insurance companies. That's what's going to happen. Secondly, we're going to make sure we reduce the premiums and reduce drug prices by making sure that there's competition that doesn't exist now by allowing the Medicare to negotiate drug prices with the insurance companies. Thirdly, the idea that I want to eliminate private insurance, the reason why I had such a fight for with 20 candidates for the nomination was, I support private insurance. That's why I didn't, not one single person with private insurance would lose their insurance under my plan, nor did they under Obamacare. So he's lying about his own policy and he's lying about Obamacare. His policy does not merely relegate public option to people who cannot obtain private insurance. It allows anybody to opt into the public option. Okay, this opened up the final line of attack for Trump. So there were three lines of attack for Trump last night. One is that Joe Biden is lockdown king. Second is that Joe Biden is corrupt. 
And third is that Joe Biden never got anything done. He's been in government his entire life and he's never gotten anything done. He points this out last night. He was Your there response. for 47 years. He didn't do it. <laughs> he was now there as vice president for eight years. And it's not like it was 25 years ago. It was three and three quarters. It was just a little while ago, right? Less than four years ago. He didn't do anything. He didn't do it. He wants socialized medicine. And it's not that he wants it. His vice president, I mean, she is, is more liberal than Bernie Sanders. You're going to have socialized medicine, just like you went with fracking. We're not going to have fracking. We're going to stop fracking. We're going to stop fracking. He's talking about destroying your Medicare, totally destroyed, and destroying your Social Security. And this whole country will come down. You know, Bernie Sanders tried it in his state. He thinks he's running against somebody else. He's running against Joe Biden. I beat all those other people because I disagreed with them. Okay, while I'm enjoying Joe Biden face-planting Bernie Sanders, like, giving him the swirly, sticking his face in the toilet and flushing it, which is exactly what Biden's doing right there. He's saying, I don't agree with Bernie. I don't like Medicare for all. That's why I'm here and Bernie isn't. Recognize that the public option is, again, step one on the road towards socialized medicine. Pretty much everybody understands that is the reality. Okay, the debate next turned to stimulus packages and the economy. And Biden suggested, this is a very weird Democratic talking point, that when the stock market goes up, it doesn't help people. That's just a lie. About half of Americans have some sort of stock in the market. Uh, and pretty much everybody's 401k is invested in the market, largely union members, right? I mean, there are huge union pension funds that are relegated to the, that, that are heavily invested in the stock market. Trump said the stock market is booming. And Biden was like, well, you know, nobody cares about the stock market. Well, um, no, actually, a lot of people care about the stock market, as it turns out. They say the stock market will boom if I'm elected. If he's elected, the stock market will crash. The idea that the stock market is booming is his only measure of what's happening. Where I come from in Scranton and Claymont, the people don't live off of the stock market. Just in the the last three three years during this crisis, the the billionaires in this country made, according to Wall Street, 700 billion more dollars. 700 billion more dollars, because that's his only measure. What happens to the ordinary people out there? What happens to them? Let's talk about what's happening on Capitol Hill. We're we're going to move on. 401ks are through the roof. We're going to move on. stock are through the roof. And he doesn't come from Scranton. That's like one of the, he lived there for a short period of time before he even knew it. We're going to move on to the next. Okay, again, people think that sort of stuff doesn't matter, and it probably doesn't, but it's a little bit. It matters a little bit that Joe Biden is consistently telling these kind of little lies about his past. Okay, and then they talked about stimulus and the fact that Democrats have been obstructing the stimulus package. That happens, independents believe that Nancy Pelosi is the obstructive factor who will not allow stimulus to go forward. Kristen Welker finally asked a good question of Joe Biden. She said, okay, you keep declaring you're the head of the Democratic Party and you're pushing nobody to get any deal done. And here is Joe Biden just lying about what the stimulus deal is. Why have you not pushed the Democrats to get a deal for the American people? Well, I have, and they have pushed it. Look, they passed this act all the way back in the beginning of the summer. The bill that was passed in the House was a bailout of badly run, high crime, Democrat, all run by Democrats, cities and states. It was a way of getting a lot of money, billions and billions of dollars to these states. It was also a way of getting a lot of money from our people's pockets to People that come into our country illegally. I'm running as a proud Democrat, but I'm going to be an American president. I don't see red states and blue states. What I see is American, United States. And folks, every single state out there finds themselves in trouble. Okay, Captain, turn to the camera here. Uh, Okay, that is not true. 
Red states have not run up anything like the deficits that New York and California have run up. This is a bailout for blue states. Everybody understands that. Basically, whenever blue states do badly, Joe Biden says he doesn't see red states or blue states. The minute that red states do badly, suddenly he's talking about the evils of red states. Weird. Weird how that works. Okay, then the debate turned to illegal immigration. And there were a lot of people last night who started to put out misinformation on, on what Trump actually said on the stage. So there was a lot of talk about the story of some 500 kids who were separated from their parents at the border because the way the law works is that either you have to release the entire family into the interior of the United States or you have to separate the kids from the parents, right? That is according to Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals law. So when they talk about forced family separation, the idea that I mean, there was an actual settlement, it's called the Flores Settlement, and it was put into place years and years and years ago. The basic idea is that you were not allowed to hold parents and children in custody, right? You either had to separate the two by allowing the kids to be placed with, with other adults outside of custody and you keep the parents there, or you have to release everybody into the interior. And so this came up last night because it turns out that it's been difficult to reunify these kids with their parents. Well, in some cases, it's difficult to reunify them with their parents because some of the people who are being, who are bringing them over were not in fact their parents, right? They're brought with adults. Not all of them were brought with their parents because Trump correctly pointed out that coyotes bring people across the border, adults bring kids across the border, and then the kids have no adult to actually be with. It's not as though their parents came across with them. In some cases, apparently the parents were deported and the government is trying to find the parents so the kids can be reunified with the parents in the first place. But the kids are living presumably with family members or in conditions provided by the American federal government. That's bad. It's terrible. It's very, very sad. But you have a couple of choices. One is you can either release everybody into the interior of the country. And the other is you can engage in this forced family separation policy. The Trump administration has started releasing people into the interior of the country more because they didn't like the bad press. Here is here is th this issue came up and it started to uh, look bad for Trump here because whenever there's a human issue that, that tugs at the heartstrings and it looks like you're on the wrong side, people start to get very angry at you. But Trump immediately flipped this and uh, and it was a bad moment for Joe Biden because the reality is that Joe Biden and Barack Obama initiated family separation policy during their administration. Here was Donald Trump going after going after Joe Biden. Children are brought here by coyotes and lots of bad people, cartels, and they're brought here and they used to use them to get into our country. We now have as strong a border as we've ever had. We're over 400 miles of brand new wall. You see the numbers and we let people in, but they have to come in legally and they come in through. But America. how will you reunite these kids you, with their families, let me just tell you, Mr. President? They built cages. You know, they used to say, I built the cages. And then it was determined they were built in 2014. That was him. A lot of these kids come out without the parents. Yeah. These 500 plus kids came with parents. They separated them at the border. Who built the cages, let's, Joe? Let's talk about who built the cages, about. Joe. Okay, and that was the big question, right? And Joe couldn't answer it because the fact is that it was the Obama administration that built the cages. And then Biden kept going on about all the things he was going to do with regard to illegal immigration. And Trump went back to, again, that third theme, which is that Joe Biden has been in government forever and never did anything about any of this stuff. He had eight years to do what he said he was going to do. And I've changed without having a specific we got rid of catch and release. We got rid of a lot of horrible things that they put in and that they lived with. But he had eight years he was vice president. He did nothing except build cages to keep children in. He has no understanding of immigration of the laws. 
Catch and release is a disaster. A murderer would come in. A rapist would come in. A very bad person would come in. We would take their name. We have to release them into our country. And then you say they come back. Less than 1% of the people come back. We have to send ICE out and Border Patrol out to find them. We would say, come back in two years, three years. We're going to give you a court case. You need Perry Mason. We're going to give you a court case. When you say they come back, they don't come back, Joe. Those with the lowest IQ, they might come back. Okay. What he's telling you is simply not true. Okay, so it isn't true that only 1% of people show up for their court date. Most people, apparently, about 50% of people, 75% of people, by various estimates, show up for that initial court date. The problem is there's a secondary court date that is set, and usually that never comes to pass. So it, it, the 1% statistic is not coming from a place that I can verify for sure. But it is true the catch-and-release policy is a garbage policy, and it has released not 11 million illegal immigrants into the center of the country. It has, it has released many, many more illegal immigrants, probably closer to 15 or 20 million illegal immigrants in the country at this point. But again, Trump's main point here, which is that Joe Biden, he keeps promising things, and he's been in the government forever. He is not wrong. And again, Trump kept hammering this home. They turned to the issue of race, and Trump kept hammering it home right there. Here is clip, Trump clip 38 saying that, uh, you know, you keep talking about how you're going to heal all the racial wounds of the country. Where have you been for the past several decades? I do. And again, he's been in government 47 years. He never did a thing except in 1994 when he did such harm to the black community. And they were called, and he called them, super predators. Nobody has done more for the black community than Donald Trump. And if you look, with the exception of Abraham Lincoln, possible exception, but the exception of Abraham Lincoln, nobody has done what I've done. Okay. This culminated with a, a very, very weak exchange for Joe Biden, right? All of this, this, this third line of attack that Biden's been in government forever and never done anything. This, this culminated in a really terrible moment, I thought, for, for Joe Biden. This, is, this would be clip 41. Okay, this is where Biden tries to explain how he was wrong about all of his criminal justice policies. Now, what's hilarious about this is that he actually was not wrong about all of his criminal justice policies. One of his only signal career accomplishments was actually lowering the crime rate via the 1994 crime bill and via some of the drug bills in the 1980s. The crack epidemic was horrible in the 1980s. The crime epidemic was horrible in the early 90s. But he has to run directly away from that because his own party hates it. So here was Joe Biden explaining what he's going to do now. And Trump again hammers him with, Okay, so why didn't you do it? You've been here for 50 years. Why didn't you do it? And Biden's answer is so stunningly and blindingly bad that it actually stops the debate dead. In the 80s, we passed 100%, all 100 senators voted for it, a bill on drugs and how to deal with drugs. It was a mistake. I've been trying to change the sense and particularly the portion on cocaine. That's why I've been arguing that, in fact, we should not send anyone to jail for a pure drug offense. They should be going into treatment. Why didn't you do it in the eight years, a short time ago? Why didn't you do it? You just said, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do this. You put tens of thousands of mostly black young men in prison. Now you're saying you're going to get, you're going to undo that. Why didn't you get it done? You had eight years with Obama. You know why, Joe? Because you're all talk. And no action. All right, Vice President because Biden, and then we're going to move on to the next section. We had a Republican Congress. Okay. That's the answer. 
Well, you okay. Gotta talk, you got to talk them into it, Joe. Sometimes All right. you got to talk them into it. We're going to move on to our next you know, section. Like which I did is with criminal justice change. reform. Okay. I had to talk Democrats into Gentlemen, it. Gentlemen, you did. We're, we're running out of time, it. so we got to get on to okay. climate change, please. Okay, so Joe Biden stops absolutely dead after he says, We had a Republican Congress. No, you didn't. For the first two years of the Barack Obama administration, not only did Democrats have a majority in the House, they had a super majority in the Senate. They had a filibuster proof majority in the Senate. Okay, for the first two years of the Obama administration. That's how they got Obamacare done. They didn't lose the House until 2010. They didn't lose the Senate until 2014. So it's just not true. What he is saying there is overtly untrue. Okay, the bottom line is that he is all talk. He doesn't do anything. Trump is right about that. Okay, the final bad point for Joe Biden happened late in the debate. They're talking about environmentalism. And Biden has this very weird take that climate change is going to kill all humanity. And so he has pledged all of these radical policies that he actually probably doesn't like very much. And this culminated in what was probably the biggest boo-boo of the entire debate. And it will be in all of the campaign ads leading up to election day, particularly in Pennsylvania. This is clip 45. So Trump is hammering him on fracking. Right? Trump is just saying, you said that you want to ban fracking. And Biden's like, no, I said I want to ban it on federal lands. Okay, He's actually said, broadly speaking, that he does want to ban fracking. And then he said, oh, yeah, by the way, I only meant federal lands. But there's, I mean, there's tape of him saying over and over and over again that he would like to transition away from fracking or ban fracking or end fracking. Then he'll say, well, I'll just do it on federal lands. Okay, fine. Trump gets him to admit in this clip that he wants to end the oil industry, that he wants to destroy the entire oil industry in the United States. That is responsible for millions and millions of jobs. If you don't think this is going to be an issue in Pennsylvania, wrong you are. Here was Trump getting Biden to admit that he wishes to kill the entire oil industry of the United States. By the way, we just became energy independent because of fracking in the oil industry. Would you close down the oil industry? I would transition from the oil industry, yes. Oh, I would transition. It is a big statement. Because I would stop. Why would you do that? Because the oil industry pollutes significantly. I see. Here's the deal. But it's a big statement. Well, if you let me finish the statement, because it has to be replaced by renewable energy over time, over time. And I'd stop giving to the oil industry. I'd stop giving them federal subsidies. He won't give federal subsidies to the to the gas, excuse me, to the to uh, solar and wind. Yeah. Why are we giving it to oil industry? We actually do give it to solar and wind. And that's maybe the biggest statement in terms of business. That's the biggest statement. Because basically what he's saying is he is going to destroy the oil industry. Will you remember that, Texas? Will you remember that, Pennsylvania, Oklahoma? Vice President Biden, let me give you 10 seconds to respond, and then I have to get to the final question. Vice President Biden. He takes everything out of context. No, you literally just said it one second ago. He did not, in fact, take it out of context. That was you one second ago declaring that you were going to end the oil industry in the United States of America. Okay, so no, that one's on you. And that's going to be in every campaign ad, and it should be in every campaign ad. There were a couple of indicators, by the way. Uh, There are three real indicators that Biden lost this debate. Two of these indicators came from Biden directly. So again, his tell is when he says, come on. He said, come on 1,000 times last night. Because when he gets tired and he doesn't have anything to say, he just kind of throws up his hands and goes, come on, come on. Here's a montage of Joe Biden's come ons last night. This is clip 12. It's all going to be over soon. Come on. Learning to live with it. Come on. Not that many of you are going to die, so don't worry about it. So don't worry about it. Come on. I know how to game the system. Come on. Come on, folks. And we had a good relationship with Hitler before he, in fact, invaded Europe, the rest of Europe. Come on. Is lecturing me on Social Security and Medicare? Come on. 
Let him go bankrupt. Come on. I told him to stand down and stand ready. Come on. That is nine commands. Nine in the course of the debate. Okay. That is how you know he's losing. Other way you know he's losing, he actually starts glancing at his watch in the middle of the debate. <laughs> he's like, when is this over? I really have to pay. When is this over? Here is uh, some footage of Joe Biden glancing at his watch pretty overtly in the middle of the camp in the middle of the debate. There he was. Good look there from Slow Joe. Okay. The final way that you know that this debate did not go well for Joe Biden is the media reaction. So the media were apoplectic over this. Apoplectic over this. They reveal themselves each and every day, and it really is incredible. How bad was Joe Biden? Basically, everybody on the Democratic side had to start reversing their own positions and or lying. Okay, so Frank Luntz had a focus group last night. That focus group described the various candidates. According to Frank Luntz's focus group, the words to describe Trump were controlled, reserved, poised, con artist, and surprisingly presidential. The words to describe Biden were vague, unspecific, elusive, defensive, and grandfatherly. Okay, I feel like a lot of that is accurate. And those are not words that really bear in, uh, in Joe Biden's favor. Okay, so how do you know that, that Biden lost? Because number one, when the media declared a draw, that means Biden lost. Number two, you have people like Joy Reid suddenly flipping and defending the 1994 crime bill. So Joy Reid, hates the 1994 crime bill on MSNBC, but she recognizes that she must defend the precious Joe Biden. And so here she was defending the 1994 crime bill all of a sudden. Yes, he did uh, spearhead the crime bill. But let's just remember that there are a lot of African-American elected officials, including in Congress, who voted for the crime bill and who wanted the crime bill. The context was the crack epidemic was tearing through black communities and black pastors were demanding a bill. He put that bill together that also included an assault weapons ban. It also included the Violence Against Women Act. Let's just remember the context. Oh, the context now. And this is the key. When the media have to contextualize Biden, he lost. Hey, Daniel Dale, the garbage fact checker for CNN. You know, he, he, is, um, he has this habit of reeling off every inaccuracy that Trump makes in a row. And he's good at that. And then completely downplaying anything that Joe Biden says. He tweeted out last night after the debate. Biden was, again, imperfect from a, imperfect from a fact-checking perspective. He made at least a few false misleading and or lacking in context claims. Trump was, as usual, a serial liar. This is what the fact-checking industry is designed to do. It is designed to excuse Democrats while clobbering Republicans. That is what it is designed to do. Daniel Dale is a partisan hack. He's a hack of hacks. The biggest lie of the night belonged to Joe Biden, suggesting that Obamacare didn't force anybody off their private insurance. That is nuts. Okay, Daniel Dale downplayed that because... You know, Trump says things that are inaccurate. Yeah, no bleep. Have you ever met the guy? Have you ever seen him? Of course that's true. Jake Tapper was beside himself last night on CNN. He said it was the dirtiest campaign ever. He, he is running the single most negative, sleazy campaign in American history for a major party candidate. The campaign that Trump and his allies in the media and his mem members of his family and the Trump-allied uh, websites and such are leveling with charges so heinous, I'm not even going to say them. Just nonsense, crap, tied into QAnon, tied into Pizzagate, tied into the worst things you could say about a person with no evidence, just completely made up, is so disgusting and so beneath what this election should be. All right, so bottom line, is this going to make like a huge difference in the future of the presidential campaign? I don't think it'll make an enormous difference to the future of the presidential campaign. I do think that marginal differences, particularly in swing states, are going to matter an awful, awful lot. If the polls tighten in the last week, 
as you would generally expect them to, then it will be seen that this debate mattered. It didn't necessarily matter to people who were partisans. There aren't a lot of people who are on the fence. But if it made some people less uncomfortable about voting Trump, then it did him a world of good and it shifted the terms of the debate because the last week is going to be all about Joe Biden declaring that he wants an end to the oil industry. I mean, that, 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 is, that is going to be the, the Trump campaign because they need Pennsylvania. That is going to be the Trump campaign for the next week. Okay, quick Bible note since it is a Friday and I feel like ending on an up note. We've gone back to doing Bible sections here on the Ben Shapiro Show because we restarted the reading of the Torah every, uh, every year we do this. So this week's Parsha, this week's Torah portion is the Parsha of Noah. It's the Parsha about Noah. So we all know the Noah story, right? God looks at humanity. He's like, you guys suck. Here's a flood. Bam. And he says to Noah, why don't you preserve your family and uh, preserve all the animals? And Noah builds the ark and, and the animals come in two by two and all of that. Okay, so there's one particular verse that's kind of fascinating because it does have a lot of relevance to how we think of ourselves and what our mission is today. So it says, this is Genesis 6, 9. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man. He was perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. So there's a big debate among Jewish commentators about what it means when it says that Noah was perfect in his generations. Why does it say he was perfect in his time? Why? why? Because theoretically, if he was perfect, it wouldn't just be in his time. So is that a compliment or is that a derogatory? If you say that somebody is great in their time, that can mean one of two things. One, the time is really awful. So the fact that they were great in that awful time means they were even greater than they normally would be. You were a great person living in Nazi Germany. Well, by contrast, you're even greater because you were living in an awful, awful time. Or does it mean that you were great compared to the other people of your time? And since they sucked, you were better than they were. But, it, but if you put them in like a normal time, they'd be kind of normal. Right? There's actually a debate among Jewish commentators. I tend to come down on the side that suggests that if you are great over that, that it is better to be great overall than to be great in your time. What separates Noah from the other characters of the Bible? So God tells Noah, I'm destroying all of humanity, right? It's over. Here comes the flood. And Noah does not respond the same way that Abraham or Moses do. So Abraham is told by God that he's going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham's first response is, let me argue with you. Let's, let's think this one out a little bit, right? Let's, let's try and identify, are there any good people who are living in Sodom and Gomorrah? Is it 100 men? Is it 50 men? Is it 10 men? Can we find anybody there who's good for whose sake it's worth preserving the entire city, right? He argues with God. He has a moral debate with God. Moses is informed by God at one point that God is so angry, he's going to destroy the entire Jewish people and he's going to make a nation of Moses and his kids. And Moses argues against that. And he says, if you do that, I want you to blot me out of your book. Like literally don't have me in your book. I'm not interested in what you're talking about here, God. Right? Those are great men for the ages. Noah, when he is confronted with the possibility of an entire generation being blotted off the face of the earth, he does exactly what God tells him and he doesn't protest. So that is the distinction, right? That's the distinction. If you're going to be a great person for all time, it's not just about being great for yourself or being great for your family or preserving your family or removing yourself from the grid. It is about attempting to save the people around you. It's about attempting to convince the people around you. And this has ramifications for today's politics on the right. There's a lot of debate on the right. We live in a, in a time where our culture is extraordinarily degraded. Our culture has moved wildly to the left. Our public institutions have been taken over by people who don't believe in American founding principle. It's been taken over by people who openly scorn Judeo-Christian ideology and ideas. So we have a couple of choices. One is we can take the sort of Rod Dreher Benedict option. That is an option. And in our personal lives, I think you sometimes do have to go off the grid. I don't think Rod is completely wrong. But that is being a good person in your generation. 
being a good person in all generations means fighting back in the public sphere in order to retake those values and convince people of the, the, the veracity of those values and the reality of those values and the importance of those values. That's what makes you a good person for all time. So we should all strive to be a good, pre, a good we should strive to be more than Noah was. A, not, not just to build the ark and preserve that which we have, but also to go forth, to shine a light, to be like Abraham, not like Noah, to open our tent to everybody and to try and draw people in to a better way of life and a better philosophy. All righty, we'll be back here next week for the final week of the presidential campaign of 2020. We're almost there, guys. It's getting pretty exciting. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Andrew Clavin Show, The Michael Moles Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. Thanks for listening. The Ben Shapiro Show is produced by Colton Haas. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producers are Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Assistant director, Pava Wydowski. Our associate producer is Nick Sheehan. The show is edited by Adam Saievitz. Audio mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is by Nika Geneva. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2020. Hey, everyone. It's Andrew Clavin, host of The Andrew Clavin Show. Was this a good debate for Donald Trump? Come on, man. You know it was. In fact, it was a great week for Trump and a bad one for Kung Pao Joe and his dirty dealings with the Chinese. We will talk about it all on The Andrew Clavin Show. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick-charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. PureTalk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So... I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving. 